you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sermon text for this evening comes from the Passion history that you heard just a few minutes ago, the opening verses of that Passion reading. We're going to read them again from Luke chapter 23. We begin at verse 13, and we read them in Jesus' name, and would you please stand? St. Luke writes, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. These are the words from the inspired evangelist. You may be seated. In the name of the Lord Jesus, dear friends. So this uh, scripture, this sermon text that we have for us this morning, or this evening, I mean, is, um, takes us right into about the middle of the trial of the Lord Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Quite a lot of things have already happened, and this is very early in the morning. So we've already had, of course, the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the trial before Annas and Caiaphas, where Jesus was condemned as a blasphemer, and under Jewish law, he deserved to die. But uh, the Jews had no authority to carry out uh, an execution that was reserved for the Roman government alone. So they had to take Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the governor, the procurator in the area. And in order to bring him before them and carry out this sentence of death for the Lord Jesus, they had to come up with some things that would fly, you might say, with Pontius Pilate. Because you see, blaspheming the Jewish God wasn't going to cut it with Pilate. That just wasn't going to work. They needed to come up with something else. Actually, they were hoping that Pilate maybe would just pass by the whole thing and just give Jesus over and tell him to take him and do with him whatever you want. But just in case that didn't work, they had to come up with some charges. So they came up with these things about Jesus claiming to be a king and inciting a rebellion. So they brought Jesus with those charges to Pontius Pilate, and Pilate, when he heard the charge that Jesus claimed to be a king, he needed to address that. So he took Jesus in, interrogated Jesus, brought Jesus out, and declared to the people that he was innocent. I have examined him, and I don't find him guilty of any of these charges. But Pilate began to sense that this wasn't going to work 
with the crowd. They really weren't looking for truth or for justice. They were looking for an execution. In the course of the dialogue that took place between Pilate and the Jewish people, it came up that Jesus was from Galilee. Pilate thought, oh, Herod's in town. We can maybe shift responsibility over to him, get this thing out of our hair before it blows up and becomes something really ugly. And I can go on with my day. Still very early in the morning. And all of this, folks, has gone on before our text. Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod. And just about as quickly as Jesus came to Herod, Herod sent Jesus back. He didn't want anything to do with him. Wasn't there to entertain Herod, and Herod didn't want anything more from Jesus than some entertainment. Pilate took Jesus back, interrogated him, and now we come to our text for today. A second time Jesus has been interrogated by Pilate. A second time, folks. Pilate has come out and declared Jesus innocent of the charges. But isn't it interesting? What do you normally do with an innocent person? Turn him loose, right? Pilate didn't do that with Jesus. Jesus is still there. Because you see, Pilate doesn't like the way things are looking here. It's just getting uglier and uglier. So Pilate comes up with a plan, and it's our theme for tonight. And you'll see it in the bulletin on page 6. A little bit of a strange theme, maybe. A part for the whole. Here's how it worked with Pilate. So first of all, he did this thing with himself. He's a Roman governor... He's charged with protecting the innocent. That innocent is Jesus. But as he sees this crowd getting stirred up and angrier more than more, the last thing that can happen with Pilate during Passover is to lose control of the crowd. There's tons of folks there. The place is packed. And if a riot breaks out, there's no telling where it will end and how many innocent people will lose their lives in the process. So the first thing Pilate has to do with this thing that we'll call a part for the whole is with himself. I have Jesus here who's obviously innocent. I should set him free. But if I do... Everything could break loose in Jerusalem, and I could have the blood of all manner of innocent people on my hands. Apart, Jesus, for the whole? Maybe, but Pilate's not quite there yet. Thinks he has an ace up his sleeve. So he looks at Jesus, he looks at the people, and he says, so here's what's going to happen, folks. I've already found him innocent twice, but I can see that you're kind of agitated here. So I'm going to turn Jesus over to my men, you see. They're going to beat him to within an inch of his life. By the time they're done with him, I'm going to bring him back out 
so you can see for yourselves how disfigured his face is. In fact, you may not be able to recognize him except by the clothes that he's wearing. They're going to do all kinds of stuff with him. Now, I know this isn't exactly what you're looking for, you see. I know we're not going to, because we're not going to execute him, but maybe, just maybe, this is going to satisfy you, you see, a part for the whole. Well, you and I know the story. We don't have to go into it because we'll be going into it in the next weeks. It didn't fly with the people. By this time, the the, uh, Jewish leaders had gotten the folks so riled up inside that they were going to go for no compromise whatsoever, nothing. They were going to settle for nothing other than Jesus on a cross. And so finally, Luke tells us uh, towards the end of the, uh, the trial with Pontius Pilate that Pilate surrendered Jesus to their will. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about this game, this part for the whole. Because Pilate wasn't the one to come up with the idea, you see. Everybody plays the game. Lots of times we play the game with God. We really do. Here's how it goes. Sometimes it goes something like this. Okay, so one scenario might be this. Lord, I know I have really messed this thing up. I, I mean, I can look back and I can see some dumb moves that I made here and now I'm in this pickle. I'm in this fix, and God, if you get me out of this fix, you see, I promise I'll never go back this road again, ever. So how's that apart for the whole, folks? Well, it's a wonderful promise for the future, right? But what about the past? What about those dumb choices that led up to that moment? We're trying to trade off a part I'll never do this again for the whole. Here's another way that we do this. Uh, Sometimes we can go uh, something like this. Lord, I I know that I'm not perfect. You know, just ask my wife, right? Uh, I know I'm not perfect. But I've been really trying to work on some stuff here lately. And, and I, I know that you know all things, but, you know, there's a lot of things to know. So just in case you forgot, here's just a couple things that I've been working on here lately, and I hope that you're going to be, you know, kind of impressed with it. So I bring in my bag of goodies, my good works, to God, setting that before him, that's a part for the whole. The problem is, folks, God doesn't play the game. He just doesn't play the game. Now, there's that verse that's tucked way back in the Old Testament. It's kind of an obscure book, the book of Leviticus. But he happened to say through Moses in Leviticus 19, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, it's kind of easy to say, well, boy, I don't know. That's 
kind of obscure. It's tucked away in the back of the Old Testament there and probably doesn't have that much relevance anymore today because after all, it's the Old Testament, you know. Well, then you got that problem that Jesus brings the same idea into the New Testament. And he put it in one of the most prominent places in the New Testament. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of chapter 5, he says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What do you see in either of these statements, folks, that says that God will settle for a part for the whole? He doesn't. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that that puts us in a really tight fix with God. But it goes on. God doesn't play that game with you and me, and he didn't play that game with his son. Back in eternity, when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were devising this plan of salvation, they didn't sit down together. The Father looked at Jesus and said, So, Son, um, we're going to send you to earth here in the fullness of time, and you're going to live for a while on earth, and um, we want you to live a really good life. Um, but i got to tell you, um, right after, right, as soon as you enter into the ministry, um, Satan's going to really lay some heavy temptations on you. Three of them, in fact. They're, they're going to be really bad, really tough temptations, Jesus. So, and, and besides that, you're going to be really hungry. Uh, you're going to have fasted for 40 days. You're going to be really weak. So when it comes to those three, you know, let's go for two out of three, okay? Let's run with that, and, and two out of three is good, and then, you know, whatever you want to do with the third one is fine. It doesn't matter. Didn't say that. Didn't play that game with his son, folks. When he sent Jesus here to this earth, he demanded from his son absolute perfection. Try to get your mind around this. Every breath that Jesus took through his entire life, every thought, every desire, Every word, every action, absolutely spotless. If you're old like me, you might remember a TV commercial from many years ago, Ivory Soap, trying to pitch its uh, soap, trying to make you buy that because it was just the best soap on the planet, don't you know? And they claimed that it was, you can, some of you older ones can say it with me, can't you? 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure. Almost as pure as the driven snow, huh? God doesn't play the game apart for the whole. Not even that close to perfection. Not with his son. And once Jesus had lived an absolutely perfect life in every way, then, dear folks, he, and he required of Jesus nothing less than a perfect and complete sacrifice 
for the sins of all as our substitute and our Savior. So here again, he didn't sit down with his son before eternity and say, you know, so the time's going to come when you're going to end up in the hands of the Gentiles and they're going to beat the living daylights out of you. Those soldiers do not play games. It's going to be really, really awful, Jesus. So I'll tell you what, when you get through that business, the crown of thorns and the whole nine yards with that, well, let's kind of back off a little. He didn't play that game with Jesus, folks. He required of Jesus such suffering on the cross for the sins of the world that Jesus would cry out, My God, why have you forsaken me? The sacrifice he offered had to be absolutely perfect and absolutely complete. Because, you see, folks, God doesn't play games. He does not play the game apart for the whole. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day on Easter Sunday, there was a declaration from God the Father that what his son had done as your substitute and Savior was so perfect and so complete that everything was accomplished. It was finished, Jesus said on the cross. And that means, dear ones, that God now comes to you and to me through his word, through the holy absolution. And when the pastor declares to you and to me the gracious forgiveness of all of our sins, that's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean almost all of your sins. It doesn't mean 99 and 44 100%. It means that the work of Jesus as your Savior and mine was so perfect. The Bible says you and I are justified. You know what that means? It means just as if I... Did you hear justified in there? Just as if I'd never sinned. That's how perfect, that's how complete the work of Jesus as your Savior and mine is, that you and I stand before God through this faith in Jesus, absolutely accepted as his children, with absolute confidence, dear ones, in all of the promises of God in Scripture to never fail us or forsake us. That his love is always sufficient for each day's challenges and trials. And that at the end of this life, dear ones, all of, all of those who fall asleep in Jesus, including you and me, we don't have to keep our fingers crossed. Well, I hope to go to heaven. That's out of here. God doesn't play that game. And he won't play it with you, and he won't play it with me. So here's the deal. God invites you and me, because this is just kind of a hard thing to get our mind around. You know, to be that forgiven before God, that, that you and I could stand before him 
truly holy and righteous in his sight. It's, it's hard to get our minds around. We struggle with this. So I had a lady a bunch of years ago, this is back when I was vicaring actually, um, um, that uh, they discovered cancer. And it was behind her ear and it was inoperable. So they couldn't deal with it any other way than by um, radiation treatment. So back in those days, a bunch of years ago, and back in those days, they had, I don't know, about 20, 30 treatments, something like that. And, and they started out a little weaker, and then they intensified as they went on through the process. So I stopped to see her real early on in the process, and I asked her how she was doing. She was doing fine, and everything, and everything was good. The, true story, folks. The next time I went over to see her was about halfway or a little more than halfway through the treatment. She met me at the door, and she said, why is God dealing with me like this? What did I do? Good old farm girl. Never smoked or drank or any of that stuff. Just, you know, a good, faithful mom and spouse and just all the rest of it. I mean, just, why is God dealing with me like this? Folks, I don't know if those days are coming for you when you are challenged in your faith, down to the roots of your faith, like she was on that day. But I can tell you that God wants to prepare you for that day right now. By meeting together as brothers and sisters in Christ here for worship and for Bible study to help you and me become convinced of what you and I cannot experience anyplace else, which is a kind of love and forgiveness that the world can't give and the world can't take away. And it's there, it's solid and sure in Jesus. God wants you to know that, dear ones. God wants you to know that the darkness of the day does not in any way reflect the love that he has for you in Jesus. It doesn't. In fact, sometimes the darker the day, the more beautiful God's love for you and me can be. But here's the other part of it. God does not play this game of a part for the whole like Pilate tried to do that day. God doesn't want you and me playing that game either in the world around us with the people we deal with who invariably will say or do something to frustrate us or worse. The same kind of way that God deals with you and me is the way that he wants us to deal with the people around us, not apart for the whole. I can forgive you, but I can't forget what you did. Not a part of God's vocabulary, folks. Not a part of his vocabulary. Read Jeremiah. I will forgive their iniquity. This is God speaking. And will remember their sin no more. Apart for the whole, folks, don't play that game. It doesn't come from God. It's only other, one other place it can come from, right? Leave it with Satan. 
Let him do all he wants to do with his old ideas of a part for the whole. You grab onto the solid and sure sacrifice of Jesus as your Savior, the love for you that is secured in his shed blood and will never fail you, and then live in the glory and joy of that sacrifice in the world around you, dear ones. This is the kind of love that the world needs. The whole thing, not just a part of it. Amen. Would you please stand? Dear ones, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue with giving thanks. <laughs>